welcome to the Transformational Storyteller Podcast. The stories we tell ourselves and others shape the lives we lead. I'm your host, Dara Lise Lyons. I first met today's guest, Lisa Cohn, at an author's conference in New York City. And she had a tremendous uh, presence. She has a tremendous presence. And she came up to me and introduced herself. And we immediately became lifelong friends. I did not know her story until getting to know a little bit more about her. And it is one of the most incredible stories of transformation and healing that I've ever heard. Lisa had a very unusual childhood that I will let her tell you about. Um, And the fact that she has emerged a pillar of strength and leadership and hope for so many and just a voice of empathy and kindness, it baffles me. And reading her book, uh, I think it's a life-changing book. And we'll be talking about that a little bit more as we get deeper into the podcast. But I wanted to give Lisa an opportunity to tell you just a, a snippet of of her story, uh, and I hope that it inspires you the same way that it inspires me. I am lucky to know this woman. Hi, Darlise, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled to talk with you and to talk about To the Moon and Back, A Childhood Under the Influence, my newly released, released last September memoir. So in a, I like to say when people meet me now and they hear my story, they always say, I never would have known, and I always say, how would you? The way I describe my childhood The best seats I ever had at Madison Square Garden were at my mother's wedding. So if you're old enough to know what that means, I was a Mooney, Reverend Sangman Moon, Unification Church, best friends with his kids. And my mom did get married in Madison Square Garden in 1982 with about 275 other couples. And on the other hand, the best cocaine I ever had was from my father's friend, the judge, because my dad is sex, drugs, and squalor, East Village of New York City in the 1970s. So I grew up between these two contrasting, juxtapositioning, crazy world. And um, now I am a leadership consultant and executive coach. I've had my business for over 20 years. And I, the stories that I tell in the memoir about what happened, I've taken everything I learned to heal and grow, and I bring it to my business. And I'm just trying to spread a message of hope and love with the book and with what I'm doing. Lisa's story is incredibly inspirational. The courage and the strength that she shows is just mind-boggling to me. And uh, one of our show sponsors, Just Strong, is all about women harnessing their strength and their power. Um, If you would like to take advantage of the generous 10% discount that Just Strong Lifestyle brand is offering for any of their items or clothing or whatnot, um, go to their website, juststrong.com, and enter the coupon code DARALEASE10 for 10% off at checkout. Thank you, Lisa, so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, my God. It, I really, you know... I. I just have to tell you, because I just finished reading the book, and I hadn't. I mean, we'd been friends. I've heard stories about, you know, your childhood and your experiences, but I just, like, my heart bleeds for the child you, and also my heart is, like, just so warmed and soars for the adult you and the woman that you've become. Thank you. And, I, you know, and we'll probably talk about this further. One of the weird things about trauma, right, I experienced some, yeah. is that... You never really think it really is. And I would always say to people, was it really that bad? Yeah. And then when people read my book and go, oh my gosh, I'm like, really? Yes. Okay. Like, yeah. I didn't know that. So thank you for the validation of, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. It, it, was, it hard. was hard. And you're, I mean, so just, I want to give uh, listeners, viewers, a little bit of insight into the book. It's To the Moon and Back, A Childhood Under the Influence. And it is your experience as you touched on in your story but it's you know it's your experience growing up the child and I want to say I'm going to use a word that might be it might feel kind of intense but like the for all intensive purposes you were abandoned as a child um 
uh, Lisa's mother, your mother, um, kind of, you know, she went into the Unification Church and began taking care of other children, and you and your brother Robbie were left uh, primarily to raise each other and yourselves, and then you went to live with your dad, who you know, was drug addicted and kind of like uh, unattentive, and so they're like, essentially you were left alone as a child to yeah, raise yourself. Yeah, it was yeah. us alone, me, me alone, my brother and I alone, Robbie and I alone, yeah, it was a yeah. very, um, so the, the story of my mom leaving. So my mom, the things I say. So first of all, by the time my mom reached the, found the church in 1974, I was 10 years old. And by that time, um, life before then was so crazy, and we can go into that, that honestly the church was a haven in many ways, yes. which is one of the crazy things about it. So she finds Reverend Moon, and she joins the church, and she, we're living at that point, my mother, my brother, and I are living with my grandfather yep. um, in New Jersey, and my mom starts spending a little bit more time in the church and a little bit more time and going every day and then going on the first train and coming on the last train back and just not around. And then she sits us down in a chair at one point and says, I, I, think, I think I need to go. What should I do? Yeah. And we say, go, go, yeah, go, mom, go, yeah. go, mother. We called her mother at that point. Go, mother, go. Um, and so then she left, and she moved into the church into New York City to work for the group that helped the parents who were members but couldn't leave their, their families because they had kids. So yes. she went in to help them because they couldn't leave, but she left us. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And so then we were alone with my grandfather for a while before. And you touched on this, but one of the most disturbing things for me about that was that you were sort of tasked with making the decision yeah. to tell her to abandon you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I felt like essentially as I was reading about your parents, um, I felt like they were the children and you and your brother were the adult. Is yeah, that, yeah. Is that fair to say? Way, I mean, my, my parents in their defense were very young. Yes. They were 18 when they got pregnant with my brother, 19 when they had him, 20 when they had me. So they really were not ready to be yeah, parents. Yeah. Um, and they, sometimes they both can be quite self-involved still, as you know, as you've heard. So yeah, it really was, it was our choice. It was our decision for her to go and you know you're serving God and you're serving the Messiah you should go and then she moved out and um, and then for years everyone would tell us how lucky we were that our mother had left yeah. to pay indemnity to suffer for God and so you can't miss her you're evil when you miss her you can't yeah. be sad so it's a it was like we, we told her to leave, and then we couldn't be sad that she was that she had gone. So it was a very yeah, it's my work. it's it really very is. confusing. It and and the other thing that struck me about you as a child, I mean, like you were such a good little girl. <laughs> I mean, and I know this about you because I know, you know, as your friend and you know, and your confidant, like there still is that in oh, you, this desire to like do the right thing and be a good little girl. I don't have that. So you're going to have to explain that to me a little because I was not ever trying to be well-behaved. I was the opposite. I, I, so the, I think all the different craziness and stuff that happened, you know, before the church, my parents were both hippies and it was yeah. just unstable and they split up when I was very young and a lot of crazy people and my mom had boyfriends who beat her and, you know, my yeah. dad was the insanity of the hippie lifestyle and, the, the like the more straight laced I was, if I walked you know between the lines, if I didn't yeah. if I didn't step on the cracks right yes. on the sidewalk, the more in control I was and the more perfect I was, um, the more I would keep it safe. Right, it's one of those psychological yeah. things. The more I would be fine, right? And and the stuff that happened to me probably you know made me feel not okay and right. like it wasn't good. Yeah, and so I tried to be good, and then I moved into a church where it was puritanical, and really you had to be good and. And I had friends who were more good than I was by the hierarchy in the church, more blessed, more special. And so all of that, yeah, I am quite the recovering perfectionist. My my ability to have to do it right and have to follow the rules, you know how it trips me yeah. up still. It trips me up to this day, yeah. right? I, I'm always the... My brother once said to me, Robbie once said to me, you even try and do not perfect perfectly. Yes. Like I do. Like I try and, okay, I'm going to not be perfect. I'm going to do that. And I don't even think I'm doing it. Like I'm so, I think I'm being yeah. involved and healthy when I try one more time to fix a relationship. And everybody's like, you're being a little perfectionistic there. You're being a little controlling. And I think I'm just being an involved person. Like it's so slippery in my brain, the need to be perfect and keep everything safe. It's There's a lot of old fear that I've let go yeah. and I am letting go, but there's a lot, and that's the reaction to it. Just 
keep it safe. Right. Well, and I really I appreciate that you know in the memoir, even though you're talking about these experiences as a child, I feel like you gave us this lens. You know, you gave your readers this insight into what goes on in the mind of someone who wants, who has a boundless capacity to love, who wants desperately to be loved in return, and feels that she needs to earn that love, right? That would pretty much be me, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, I think in many ways, that's that's my experience too, but I think I also had, have and had a case of the fuckets. I related a lot to your brother yeah, in the story Robbie, where, yeah, yeah, Robbie was, um, you know, Lisa's brother was kind of, uh, had all the same experiences of abandonment, but he had a lot more anger oh, yeah. about it. I was the people pleaser and the sweet one, and he was the angry one. And, yeah. and they both are helpful, and they both get in the way, right? <laughs> yes. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah, I was the one. I would get all straight A's, and he would not do as well. And when my mom left, and we were living with my grandfather, who was very depressed and on the verge of a breakdown and so you know I was responsible for the cooking and the cleaning and the shopping I'm in sixth grade and the yeah. you know all of that and I would beg Robbie to like carpet sweep the floor right because he just wouldn't do it and yeah I, and I would right yeah no, no, like, he's my one of my best friends no offense to him right we both yeah reacted in these very different ways and his anger helped him and my people pleasing helped me and they also really 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 get in the way yeah well and his I mean his sort of uh extremity I think in many ways was helpful and protective mm -hmm. and also you were left to deal with it I mean there was a there's a excerpt in the book where you're talking about um, how he wouldn't clean the room like he just you shared a room at one point yeah. uh, for years yeah. I guess you shared yeah. a room with him and it was just a disaster area and it was all his disaster and tore everything up and broke every yeah. toy through, I mean literally the, you could not see the floor, and in order for my mother, who we called Mimi at the time, her name, in order for her to come in, we would have to clear a path so she could walk in. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes she that would even be too much, and she wouldn't come in and give us a kiss goodnight because there was even the path was too upsetting. Right, but like the insanity to me that she wouldn't say, "Hey, your kids clean your room." She would just, yes. you know what I mean? Like, I mean that it's just it was, such yeah. an interesting. Yeah, we had to clean childhood. it twice a year to get presents from our grandparents. Yeah. Um, and then there's a story in the book where literally people were, we lived in the basement and the, so the, the windows were high up and I come into the room one day and people are fishing in our room from outside trying to get toys off uh, the oh floor. Yeah. Like it was, oh it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of kooky. It's a it really kooky. kooky childhood and I'm gonna sort of, uh, if you're watching this episode, you can probably see, so tell, Tell about your necklace. My yeah, necklace. if if you're listening, you're gonna have to listen to the description. So this is a uh, subway token, New York City subway token from the '70s when I was a kid. Um, because I do live, I live in Wayne, Pennsylvania, I'm yeah. out here in the Burbs, the Burbs of Philly. Yeah. Um, but I am such a diehard New Yorker. We will travel, and people will say, "Where are you from?" And my husband will say, "We live outside of Philly." And every single time I go, "But I'm from New York." Yes. So this is like <laughs> my, you know, my claim of. I'm a New Yorker. My, my children like to say, first mom's a New Yorker, and then mom's a mom, and yeah. I'm from there. So that's why I wear it. I wear it almost all the time because it's just part of, part of, as, as when, and we moved into, so I, we, I literally moved in at 13 when, you know, my mom left, and then my grandfather got put into the hospital, and my dad finally found out, and he came and got us. Yeah. Um, got shuffled around for a while, and he came and got us. And that's when I moved in, and I was terrified of New York City. Yeah. But now it's such a, primal part of who I am and how I identify and yeah. so, yeah. so I wear it. That's my subway token. Well, and you tell a story, and I want you to tell the story on the podcast, but in the book you tell a story of uh, not jaywalking in New York City, no, being no. afraid to jaywalk. And that to me is like, you are not truly a New Yorker until you can jaywalk in New York City. So I, uh, yeah, my, my business partner now comes down to visit. She's like, you're not crossing on the, on the red? So yeah, I, yeah. Um, I went back to that. So yeah, I wouldn't, I was such a good goody two-shoes that I would not cross at a red light. Yeah. I would never. And it drove my mom crazy. It drove my brother crazy. It drove my dad crazy. They all hated it. Um, and so one of the stories, as you know, is um, Robbie and I, we were coming in to see Danny. Danny worked at a bar in Soho. And Danny is your dad. Danny's my dad. Right? Yep. Oh, yeah. Right. So let's go. Danny's my dad. Mimi is my mom. Because as my father will still say, I am a person. I am not a label. Call me by my name. 
My name is Danny. If you call me dad, I'll call you dot. If you call me daddy, I'll call you dotty. Call me by my name. And that's yes. to this day. Yeah, yeah, I will yeah. talk about it and people go, does your father know you call him Danny? I'm like, that's a really long yes. story. So, yes. so Danny's working at the Broom Street Bar in Soho. He's a bartender. And Robbie, my mom, and Mimi would put us on the train in New Jersey. And we are seven and six, eight and seven, something like that. Put us on the train and we take the train to Hoboken and we take the PATH train to 9th Street and we get out and we walk to the bar. Yeah. And so we come to the corner of 8th Street and 6th Avenue, which if you know New York is kind of a big corner. Yeah. And it's during the Greenwich Village Art Festival. So it's even more crowded. And the light is red and Robbie wants to cross 6th Avenue. Right. And there's no cars coming. And he says, let's cross. And I say no. And he says yes. Yeah. And I say no. So he crosses. And by the time the light changes, I can't find him. Right. Yeah. So there I yeah. am. I'm yeah. in Greenwich Village. I'm seven years old or something like that. And I have I've always followed Robbie. I have no idea where the bar is. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going. Like you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're <laughs> seven years old in New York City. Wandering around with no idea yes. where I'm going and that so I, I wander the village for a while. I find a playground that I recognize, um, which is now where an NYU gym is. But the playground that I recognize, I see it and from there I kind of figure out how to get to the bar. Yeah. I'm so thrilled and I make my way to the bar. And I walk in, and Danny's supposed to be behind the bar, but I look, and there's this man with a bald head behind the bar. Yes. Yeah. My dad. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I am, yeah. now, now I'm crying, right? Now yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm lost, I'm found, I'm lost. Um, and it turns out that it is Danny, because he got drunk that night, the night before, a couple nights, and he shaved his head. So he comes up, and he's like, Twink, it's me. And yeah. what he used to call me, he calls me Twink, Twinkle Star. Um, and he's like, where's Robbie? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And Robbie at that point was at the other end of the bar crying because he had lost his little sister in New York City and there was a strange man with a bald head. I, yes, yes. Behind the bar. And so, a tooth earring apparently, right? Is that, yeah. That, yeah. So, so Danny was once at the bar and there was a bar fight and he went out to help and someone knocked out his tooth and he took it and he had it made into an earring and he hung it. So he would, and I like, so yeah. yeah, when he, my fifth grade play, he came and he showed up with the bald head and a top hat and a tooth hanging from his ear. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and I I'm thought, just going, I just have normal parents. <laughs> yeah. That was before the church, right? So that's why by the time we got to the church, it was, it was, my mom wore a yeah. bra and, you know, and, and skirts and not right. homemade clothes and right. stopped cursing and right. became more normal, even in yeah. the cultish um, normality. So yeah, it's a, well, and there was a lot of that, right? Like a lot of kind of like taking sanctuary even in the absurd yep. and a lot of feeling like, okay, well, this is better than what was, mm -hmm. so I'm going to need to settle for mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And what do you think, because I, you know, there were parts in the book, because I, I wanted to like, I I'm so on your side, you know, as your friend, as a reader, et cetera, like I'm so on your side. And so I wanted to, as I was reading the book, I kind of wanted to be mad at everybody on your behalf. I wanted to, you know, like, it, yeah. but I found that there were some beautiful things that came from your childhood yeah. and some beautiful things that came from your experience in the church. And one of the things that I know about you is like, you are a, a person who makes everybody feel welcome, you know, and you're a person who includes and a person who, like, I don't think it's possible to be an outsider in your home or a stranger, you know, in your experience. And I, I felt like a lot of that came from your experience in childhood. And so I don't know. I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit. So, so yes and maybe. So yeah. um, it's interesting because when I, when I wrote the memoir, um, I, I am, I am a, like, I am a person who has a huge heart, and I am a person who sees the positive, and I've learned to look for the positive. Yes. It's one of the ways I've healed. It's one of the practices I believe in. And uh, so I look back at the past, and I thought, okay, so what I got from the church was my loving heart. Because yeah. what happened was, you know, we joined, I'm very young, and I realized I can do actually nothing for God. Like, I can't mm. be helpful, so what I'll do is I will love my brothers and sisters, all the church members, more than anybody else. I'll be yeah. the most loving, I'll take care of them, and I make an active decision to be very loving. And so I thought, well, that's, I probably got my loving heart from the church. But I will tell you, I have a, three friends in the church, Reverend Moon's daughter, and then two other yeah. children, Korean girls, who were born and raised in the church. And I have reconnected with them. And when I would say that to them, they all go, you were like that when we met you? Yeah, that's, so, yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think that's me. But I think what I got from both, you know, there's, there's many things I could say that were not great about the Unification Church, but it did talk about one humanity and mm. all races and, yeah. and everybody together and, and one family of man, right? And then 
So I have that inclusiveness, I think, from that. And then my dad, you can say a lot of crazy things there, but my dad welcomes everybody and yeah. is very engaging. He's really wonderful if he's not your father. Yes. Right? Um, and is very open-minded. So I, I, am, I have a very open mind to a lot of things, and so I think my experiences gave me that in some ways. Right. That's kind of, so like they, I think I was always loving, but it, it ratcheted it up in different ways, I think. Oh my gosh, yeah. And your loving heart, I mean, that was something that I, even before your mom joined the church, as I was reading the book, like you would, there was a lot of love, but also a lot of anxiety wrapped around love. So, I, so I'm, you know, I'm thinking about you kind of in the early part of the book, some of the first chapters, you know, you like you would be sitting in the hallway, like waiting for your mom to come out, out of the, the bathroom, bathroom and you'd be like crying, you know, because you just wanted to be with her and you just wanted to I love her. I was terrified and, she would leave. My yeah. dad had left. They had split up. My dad had left and I was terrified my mom would leave. Well, I wonder, do you think on some level you had some sort of like premonition or psychic, like, because I feel like what you were afraid of ended up happening. Well, possibly. And, and Robbie used to say, she's going to leave too. But, I mean, he yeah. was an older brother. He used to say that. Or, you know, I'm, maybe. Maybe yeah. it was my greatest fear and then it happened. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And, and I think, you know, one of the things, when our greatest fears happen and we survive them, mm -hmm. Like that for me is when, when we really become aware of our own resilience as human beings. You know, what's funny, and you, you said anxiety, and I just said to you right before we started, so clearly I have some anxiety, right? And it makes total sense that I have anxiety. Right, yeah. But I was so not aware of it. And so I just the other day, a, a good friend was reading the book, and she's like, it's dripping with anxiety. And I'm like, I had no idea yeah. that that was the tone I was vibrating at, right? Because when it's all you know, yes. it's all you know. And even though I knew my childhood was weird, I didn't know it was bad and I didn't think it really had hurt me, right? And even though, like as you go through the book, I go through a lot of experiences and I end up crawling into Al-Anon on my hands and knees, you know, at the age of 24, basically saying, tell me if he's an alcoholic. Yeah. There's no way I would ever be with an alcoholic. And yeah. all these people with their poor, low self-esteem totally unaware of how damaged I was and how self-loathing I was and how like all of that inside me I had just I am so functional yes I'm so good at functioning and, and thriving and surviving yeah. right and just doing it anyway yeah, yeah. my teeth and doing yeah, yeah. it as you know yeah. part of that perfectionist thing that I didn't even realize you know it's when I talk about the book like so my story is quite unique the only person I know with a very Somewhat similar stories, my brother. Yes. But the themes are universal, right? And right. So that those themes of the self-loathing and the self-disgust and the fear and the all of that. How you, as a kid, things yeah. happen and you think it's yeah. you. You think it's you, well, right? And for me, and I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's your story, but I, you know, I'm just the observer. But um, what I was struck by was the anxiety seemed to have been there all along. Mm -hmm. I felt like the self-loathing was something that it was either taught to you by the your experiences in the church or it was intensified by your experiences of the church because what I felt like um for those of you who aren't familiar with the unification church I was not familiar with it um but it, essentially like if you are um the child, the Reverend Moon was like the, you know, the, he was the seen as the Messiah and then his children were seen as sort of like these blessed children, the true children, children like the, yeah. The, sinless and right. revered and. Right. Blessed. And then there were other children who were like born, born into, into the, the church, church. And they're blessed children and they're born without original sin and they are also very, very special. Right. And, and then, then the rest me. of you. Yeah, yeah. And so I felt like that yeah. that hierarchy of like, okay, I am a mistake. That feeling of no matter what you did, you were never going to be good enough. Like, I've, I'm, maybe that was there before, but I feel like it got very solidified yeah. in, the, in it's, yeah. the church. So it, um, I think it was, I think it was there before, as you know, there's yeah. a, uh, a strong possibility that I was molested when I was a kid, right? Yeah. Which gives you yeah. a real sense of being tainted, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. So start with that or not, right? And then a lot of things happen and all the, my parents and stuff, you take it on as a kid, right? Yeah. must have been, my dad left because of me, right? Yeah. That's what kids do, right? Yeah, yeah, And so you take that on. And then we got to the church where it was about, you know, good and evil and the hierarchy. And I was definitely at the low end of the hierarchy. Yeah. and. And, you know, the need to suffer and pay indemnity and be perfect for God. And I clearly was not perfect. And so that intensified yeah. it further. 
And then, as you also know when you read in the book, I got, I was, you know, best friends with his kids and I was got involved in, the only way I can say is a soap opera. Like, I got involved in an incredibly traumatic situation where a dear friend of mine spread rumors about me. Yeah. They got to Reverend Moon. He banished me from his children. So I, I like to say the Messiah said I was yeah, bad, right? Yeah, and so yeah. you do all that and it just got it even bigger. And then when I finally left, when I left, I still knew it was true. I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and so that was failing, right? So, so it all just kind of ba-boom, 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 yeah. ba-boom, ba-boom that yeah. came up with the, yeah, badness. Yeah, and, the, and there was such a hunger. There is such a hunger, I think, in your story to redeem yourself, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. a desire to just figure out how to pay to atone or whatever. I think I still have whatever. that driving yeah. me now that you say oh my that. God, yeah. Every time we get together, you're like, you're doing it again. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, oh yeah, I am, you're right. I yeah. tried, you're like, this is working for you. Why did you stop it? Because yeah. you need to be strong. Yeah, I did it yeah. again, and I did it again. And I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there is this that redemption thing that and I, I'm I mean, I think that might be part of the human experience, so. right? That we all just want to be loved and figure out how to do that and I I too have that like I'm you know I need to earn yeah. love and affection thing and um you know I I want to kind of talk a little bit about the work that you do now because I feel like that is in some ways your redemption like you took your story and you've been helping people and even before your book was out there, even before you had written a book, you were doing this work to help other people. Yeah. So what has that been like? So, yeah, so I own a leadership consulting and executive coaching firm. Um, so I work with organizations and with individuals, um, helping them be better leaders and better managers yeah. and, and better in the corporate world. And I'm pro and I do it from a much more internal place as well, right? Yes. And so I, I mean, the cool thing is now my my memoir is out, so I get to say, well, you know my story, so you know this is from Al-Anon, yeah. right? But I, I share the things I learned in 12-step meetings, I th the things I learned in therapy, I share the things I've learned in every self-help and meditation and mindfulness and positive psychology and all of the things I learned to heal. Yeah. I think as, as, a, you know, as people, as human animals, we all need this. Yes. It, or, or want it, or it's nice to have it, all these yeah. things. And so I share it in a corporate sense, right? So I am, I am bringing what I found in order to be okay and giving it to people, which is really cool, and yeah, I love it. And yeah. I, and, you know, I, you know, some people we just stay on the surface, and some people we go and really dig deep and yeah. say, hey, why are you carrying that with you anymore? That's not your fault. Let it go. Right, Let right. Let it go. go. You know, go get take, take a bath, get a massage, walk around the block, clear your head, meditate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like really having these tools and then having, I mean, you've had to put them into practice mm -hmm. for yourself. Um, you know, you talked about being okay. And I, the sense I get is that, you know, you figured out how to be okay, but now, but then that was just a springboard for a pretty great, life. I have a very wonderful life. I yeah. Really do. Yeah. I really do. Most days it's amazing. Even when the days it's not amazing, if I stop and think about it, it's still pretty. It's still, it's still a blessed. hell of a whole lot absolutely. better. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, and to say you're blessed, I mean, that's such a humble way to put it because you worked really, worked really hard. hard. There you go. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I get called out on that one a lot. I've worked really hard to build a beautiful life. Well, and I just look at that choice of even language, like the feeling of being blessed. And I wonder, because you, you came from this, like, this all-consuming religiosity mm -hmm. in the church. And so how do, like, how does spirituality factor into your life now? What do you, like, how, do, how have you reconciled that? Yeah, so when I left the church, I could have nothing to do with it. Because as soon as I thought about God, it was the God I grew up with, and yeah. then I deserved to die. Okay. I just deserve to die. Yeah. I tried yeah. a different couple ways, right? To yeah. Hurt myself that way. Yeah. Um, and is when I craw crawled into Al-Anon and they give you the concept of a higher power. Yes. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And I started to call it God because it's just easier. But now, as you know, I like to say God with a little G, right? Because yeah. the other one has too many hangups. So I am very spiritual. I'm not very religious. Yeah. Um, religion. I can sit in any house of worship and connect with my God, but my God, goddess, is, is they, is love, is spirit. Yeah. Um, so that is my guiding yes. source and light. That is my spirituality is absolutely 
like coming back to my own and what what heals me and holds me but it's not it's not tied to any religion and it's certainly not tied to a god that needs me to be a certain way or do a certain thing or yeah. prove a certain thing or pay for the sins or i yeah i don't i don't do that anymore no no i mean i got like i mean there's like a pledge in your book the unification church pledge mm -hmm. that they have you say every day and all this and I got to like three sentences into that, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, I, there's no way I could measure up to this." Oh, and I, when I, you know, so I did some research when I was writing the book. Like I would research the teachings, and when I hear the teachings, there are parts of it, and I think I've said this to you, that still I know they're not true, but they still are completely true in my brain. Yeah, my brain yeah. still cannot see them as not true. Yes. Right. And when I did the pledge or the holy songs, the songs we used to sing, like I know it. Like I could, if you started me, I could recite the whole thing to you. I haven't done it since I was. 16, like yeah. 17, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, yeah, many yeah. decades ago, but it's still, yeah, but it's this I pledge and swear, this I pledge and swear, this I pledge and swear, I will fight yeah. for God, I will give my life, I will, you know, restore God's love, I will restore yeah. the world, I will give anything, you know, it's, it's all, it's right, all. Right, right, oh my goodness, and it just really goes to show how that early indoctrination in anything, mm -hmm. anything, I mean, there are still things that I you know, beliefs I had. I had an aunt who died of cancer when I was eight years old, and I thought it was my fault that she died. You know, like, and I don't know how my brain made that connection, but it it's made those crazy. connection yeah. that it's my fault that she died. And I carried that for years, and then I thought I was going to die at 29, just as she died at 29. And like, I, I mean, I got to 29, and I, I made it through. I'm 35 now, and I was like, what do I do now? Like, I've lived, I'm 30 now. Like, what I, do I, I do? I, I, I was yeah, supposed, supposed to, to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, just that internalization. We really do. We, do. we, we really do. I mean, do. I, and that's what some of the work I do in work, right? So, as humans, right, we make up stories. We try and interpret yes. the world. As yes. kids, we completely misinterpret, right? Yeah. And to think you to think you made her die, right, is a, is a sense of power that I think we need as kids. Like, right. it'll make more sense even if it's bad. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But even as adults, like, all we do all day long is make up stories, right? That's right. how our brains work, yes. which is wonderful, and it also gets in our way. So, like, what is the story I'm making up about me? What is the story I'm making up about you? What is the story I'm making about this situation? Right. What's that old, like, right, like you right. know, like my old fears or old beliefs or my kick-in stuff that happens that happens without me thinking about it? And is it really helping me now? And maybe it saved my life then, right? That's what I say to clients all the time, right? When I do the deep work, like these things, some of my clients, it did save their lives, right? Oh, yeah. And some oh, yeah. of, you know, the fear and the control and the perfectionism and some of them, they just think it did. But now we don't always need it. So how do we not, how do, and, how do I not go there? Yeah, and it's there? hindering yes. now, you know, that thing that is like a, you know, like it's I like, don't need this. I can be right, strong. Right, yeah, right, one, yeah. right, right. Right. I mean, I think it's like a life preserver, right, in a way, but then it, then it becomes, becomes a weight. A weight. Yeah, 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 and it'll just drag you down. And I, um, you know, I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about, so I want to save your mother till, till after. I want to ask about your dad okay. because I feel like you know, we talk about a life preserver and a weight, and that is a really good <laughs> metaphor for your dad. Yeah, because yeah. there were times in the book where I felt like, oh, wow, he really, you know, he really is there. You know, he showed up for you. He took you in. He, you know, I mean, I feel like he really wanted to be good. But at the same time, you know, he taught your brother how to smoke pot, you know, at, at the, the same time. 10. Yeah, at the age of 10, right. He's, you know, encouraging you to, like, have sex, you know, and, 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 he, and, and, and trying to, like, I mean, just like jokingly with his friends, like talk about kind of like jokingly sell you, yeah, you to his friends, to you his know, friend. yeah. right, so like I just the, found out he's still alive and now visiting my father. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's like all this weirdness yep. in your dynamic with your dad. And so I kind of wanted to ask like, what was the story that you told yourself about your dad as a child? And I, I, I do know a little bit about reading your book, mm -hmm. but I want like you to be able to kind of articulate that. And then what story do you tell yourself about him now, looking back? Yeah, so uh, I was always a mommy's girl. Yeah, yeah. He left. I never wanted to see him. I never went. I didn't go to visit him very often. My dad was loving when we were young in a lot of ways, um, but I was terrified of him. I was terrified of his life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
as well you should have as been. As well I should yeah, have been. Yes. It, was not, it was not a safe place yes. for young children. And it's funny because uh, when my, my mom left and my grandfather went into the hospital and my dad came and got us, his friends will be like, well, he came and got you. And eventually someone will say, but he was my dad. Like, he really should have come and got yeah, us. But, yeah, yeah, So he did take us in, and his friends also say he was, he was like, the, like the most together one of all of us because it, it was in it was, yeah. it was the 70s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but... This, I mean, I just, and then, and then we joined the church and we lived with my dad. So by the church, he's Satan. Like his life is Satan. Right. He's satanic, right? And right. so he's taking us in and loving us. She's not, but yeah. she's good and he's bad. Right. And, right. and he never says anything nice, never says I love you, but takes care of us and actually shows up and does and, and will. Like if I'm sick and would always actually yeah. show up when I, when I had my second child and I could never put him down. He always needed to be held. My father went on his one day off of the, you would come and visit me and hold my son so I could yeah. sleep when my father shows up. And my mom would always say the most wonderful loving things and then not show up or leave. Yeah. So it, um, so I, I and, then, and then as I started to leave the church, I started to get closer to Danny, hence the cocaine, right? That's right. when I started to hang out with yeah. him and do blow with him. And it's like yeah. probably the closest we ever were. He loved that. Yeah. Although then he'd get me all high on coke and then get, get mad at me that I wasn't eating because I was also anorexic. I was like, but you, you did this. And, yeah. Um, so... I don't know what story I told then. It was it was it was confusing to figure out what his love was or wasn't. I do believe that he did even the crazy things he did. He did them with him thinking he had our self interest in mind, right? So yeah. I'm going to raise my kids free. I'm going to expose them to things. I'm going to give them, you know, a nice open lifestyle. Yes. Um, yeah. And now, so my so Danny had a stroke. 11 years ago, something okay. like that, 11, yeah. 12 years ago. He, is, uh, he became half disabled, lost his right eye, and the use of the left side of his body ended up in an assisted living facility in Princeton, outside of Princeton, New Jersey, halfway between New York and where yeah. I live in Pennsylvania, uh, um, and then um, proceeded to smoke cigarettes in his room and light so many fires and burn the carpet so many times that they put him into a nursing home. Oh, and so now he's a very, very old 75-year-old um, and in a wheelchair, and it's, yeah. it's very, it's just really sad. And so now, and I'm his primary caregiver, um, and so now it's, it's very convoluted. I adore him. Yes. I have such compassion for him. Yeah. He's so difficult to be around and to be with. Yeah. Um, he can be sweet. There was one time I saw him recently, and he said to me, you're my lodestone which is that magnetic thing in the compass that points north, like oh, he does. Yeah. And then there's sometimes when he makes completely inappropriate comments about sex because he's yes. still Danny, right? Yes. And so it's, yes, it's yes, this yes. very like, you know, the good news is I have compassion for him and I, I just, I mean, my heart breaks. My heart breaks yeah. when, in his life, which is just so, so sad. Like being yes, so yes. I don't have a good, easy, straight answer for that. Well, I don't think there is a good, easy, straight answer yeah. for that. And I think, you know, it's just dawning on me in this moment, but the sub, the subtitle of your, of your book, To the, the Moon and Back, A Childhood Under Both. the Influence, I feel like that title applies to you, that you were a child under the influence of both extremes of your mm -hmm. parents, but I feel like you're parents were children Absolutely. they were children parenting other children and they were under the influence your mom was under the influence of the church and your yeah. dad was under the influence of drugs yeah. and alcohol yeah. and you yeah. know debauchery yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah i well, recently i mean i i come to it sometimes that i recently came to remembered felt the terror i felt at living with him it was, yeah. it, was it was scary yes it was just you know it was yeah. just not a stable place yeah right and and no wonder you and Robbie drew so close and yeah. that comes through so much in the book and in just knowing you and how you feel about your brother and the fact that he'll still you know he still is at your house often and I like to know, say yeah. I am his country home <laughs> yeah yes yeah. yeah um and 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 then just to touch on your mom yep. I want to talk a little bit about her um because there is so much love. You talk about being a mommy's girl, and I, I too, am a mommy's girl who had to, um, like, have a shattering of illusions about the mother that I believed my mom to be versus the person that she actually is. Mm -hmm. And and that love hasn't changed, but perhaps 
my belief in her has, you know, has needed to change. And so I guess I just wanted to ask you how reconciling that, you know, is, how it, how uh, it is for you. As you know, it's a journey. Yeah. I, um, I've been distant, incredibly close, distant, incredibly close. Um, now I would say guarded, um, and, um, you know, trying to, again, my mom would always say the right thing and sometimes couldn't show up and has this habit of just not, of just not, just not coming through or saying and doing things that I would never say or do to my kids. Like she just doesn't think it through and she'll say, she realizes she just doesn't think it through or blurt things out and you're like, whoa. Uh, Yeah. Um. She used to say, I, I really hope you get over this sometime. I'll get over the fact that I left. And it's like, yeah. what do you have to do with that? Um, well, there's a youngness, right? Yeah, like an immaturity yeah. there. Yeah. 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 And so it's, it's you know, but I, um, you know, again, I feel myself, you know, she's she's around. She's in the other room, actually. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I'm like, me, can I, she came down to spend time with my son. And I'm like, can I let you in a little bit more, right? Yeah. I, you know, and see, is there a way to have, because I'm, my brother can be like, I'm not going to talk to you ever again yes. to people. And I don't, no. I don't do that. But I've learned not to be like, here, take me, hurt me. Right, right? Because right. then you just put yourself out to be hurt. Right. Yeah. So I've had to learn to be like, I will love, and I, but I will be careful. And I will open, but I won't open all the way because I'm, I can no longer put myself out enough. Yeah. Out so much that I can get really, really devastatingly hurt. Right? Yes. I've, I've done yeah. that and it doesn't work. So well, it's definitely a learning. And I know, I know that she loves me. Yes. You know, and it's like we're trying to find a way to what yeah. that means and what can it mean, I well, guess. And she's supportive of this book, right? I mean. 180%. It's crazy. She's been my biggest supporter. She's so supportive. She'll do anything. And at the same time, obviously terrified for how she looks and what people think. And so, of course, it flips her out, right? Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that's why she's not in the room listening to this because, like, I don't want her to hear something that she gets triggered by. Yeah. She doesn't need, like, that's not going to help our relationship, yes, right? Yes, If we us. need to talk about it, that's one thing. But, you know, to, to put her in an experience where she needs to hear things that are going to trigger her, whether or not I think they're true, it's just, yeah, it's not yeah. going to help. But, yeah, she's, she'll, like, she'll do anything. And every every interview I had, she had to say, yes, I support it. And, yes, this is true. And, yes, yes. And, and they think yeah. this not the way maybe I would tell it. But, yes, 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 yes. yes right? Yeah. And find the photos that proved we were in the church so that Megan Kelly would interview me and all of that. So, so she's been, since day one, supportive, but also... It's a very, it's... it's well, there's so much love in your memoir for your mother. Your your feelings towards your dad, to me, seemed to be a little less steady, mm-hmm. you know, maybe like a little more confused and problematized, but your feelings for your mom and your mom's feelings for you, the love shines through, mm-hmm. the behavior behaviors don't always quite match the emotions but I felt like you sincerely wanted to love your mom and still do and your mom sincerely wanted to love you and maybe didn't know how to bear that out I mean would that does that feel kind of accurate maybe makes sense yeah and I have to remember that you know uh, so when I was interviewed for Megan Kelly in the backstory they said were you brainwashed and like I I wasn't brainwashed. I didn't have a brain to be washed. I was pickled in it. Yeah. When you grow up in a situation, they have done research that proves exactly what it does. Extremist situations and you know specific types of dangerous situations carve your brain in a specific way. So I was pickled, but my mom was yeah. brainwashed. My yes. mom lost ability to actually think rationally, right? And we are anybody is susceptible to that. It can happen to anyone, and it happened to her. So when I look at that, it's like, well, then of course she did leave and and you know a series of other things where she just let things happen to us Mm. in the church and with my dad and living with my like she just let it happen because she believed in the messiah and the messiah said do this and so she and her central figure her you know her leader in the church said do this and don't don't cry in front of your kids and move and go further away and don't see your kids and don't take them out and you know they you know there was one time where she was you know, she was working in a nursery, taking care of other people's kids, and we used to visit every weekend. And then, again, rumors got started, this time about my brother, and we were no longer, they made a, a declaration that only relatives of the kids in the nursery could come into the building. And yes. so we would literally, like, it was in Tarrytown, New York, and we would take the bus up and hear Reverend Moon speak in the morning, and then we'd go over to Jacob House where my mom lived, and we'd knock on the door and say, can Mim come down and say hi? 
And if she could, she would come outside and give us a quick hug. And if she was busy, they would say, no, she's busy, but hopefully she'll see you next week. Yeah. Right? And the fact that, on one hand, that, that happened and she let that happen is, is, you can't fathom it. On the other hand, she had no choice if you actually really understand an extremist situation, right? right? And so right. It's, yeah. it's how do you, how do you, and at the time, I thought there was nothing wrong with it, and I was wrong to miss her and think I was sad, right? Yeah. I couldn't be sad and I couldn't complain yeah. because God's people said this is right. So it's, it's very it's, it's convoluted. It's so convoluted. It's so convoluted. And I wonder, I mean, to have this example of love and to have this example of mothering <laughs> and fathering and, and all of that, but you, you know, you are married, you have a husband, I you do. have two children um, that you love dearly and are there for. And so how the hell do you parent, given your example of parenting? Well, like, well, I, how I, do you I jokingly do like to say, first of all, when the bar is low, it's very easy to go above it. Okay. And I also like to say, there's only so far you can do, just do the opposite. Yeah, but yeah. I am, um, so I will um, I will probably cry. I, I do know that I healed through loving my children, mm. right? And I'm not gonna say I'm the perfect mom and I did everything right and I probably over with both my children to make up for my under mm. parents. Um, but I am a good mom. And yeah. I walked into it, all I wanted was for my kids to know they were loved because I did not ever know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. How my dad acted and what, and all the things that happened with my mom, I walked away not feeling loved or lovable. Whatever, that's how you interpret it. And so I just needed my kids to know that no matter what. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I probably read a lot of books, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of books about how to be a parent. I probably read a lot of spiritual books. I read, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of John Kabat-Zinn book about parenting, which is really like these are whole beings oh, and let them be whole beings yeah. and just give them space. Yes. That's why yeah. I can put it. Um, you know, and I just, I approached, I was, I spent so many years trying to heal me. Um, yes. And I brought all of that yeah. to my parenting. I mean, I probably, you know, did too much and tried too hard and all of that as well. But, um, but I, my kids are, they're, yeah, they're the biggest yeah. blessings in my life. And they do, beyond anything else, know that I, at sometimes annoyingly, if you ask my younger child, love them. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I feel like you took... You know, because your mom said all the good things mm -hmm. and your dad was physically there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you took both those yeah. things yeah. and combined them. So you were, you were, you have always been there for your children yeah. and you've always let them know how important they are to you. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, which is just. Yeah. And again, I probably incredible. went over, but. I'd rather go over yeah. than under. Right. They're okay. They're not too, you know, messed up from it. So. Well, they're they're pretty great people. They're pretty great yeah, people. they're pretty great people. Yeah. yeah. And also, um, don't feel a need to conform to the status quo, right? Yep. Like, so they are okay to be themselves as individuals and to There's be loved. There's that open-mindedness and yeah. absolute unconditional acceptance that I've learned to give. That they, yeah, yeah. My kids kind of know that there's nothing they need to do to be to be loved. And yeah. They can go be themselves, whatever the heck that is. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. I, yeah. If only we could all have parents that give us that, right? Yeah. <laughs> like if only. I do, but... I do. I get from one of my yeah. kids. I get like, you get the parents. All my, all my friends want you. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I know, you know, for people who are watching, you can see that Lisa has um, green <laughs> hair uh, tint and, um, you know, but people who are listening cannot see that. So I feel like you, as an adult, have been giving that more and more to yourself that you don't have to quite... You know, I as I really conformed. Yes. And then there was a while where I really didn't conform. Yep. Right? And then I met my husband, who is much more of a conservative background, and I was like, oh, and I really conformed. Yeah. And then over the years, and especially the recent years, I'm like, ah, I mean... I, I just, I'm me, right? Yeah, and I just, I, yeah, yeah. First of all, I like self-expression. I like jewelry. Yes, yes. My earrings usually don't match anymore. And yeah. I, I used to do that all the time in my 20s. And yeah, and I got, I like to say, I got inked and I got the dyed hair before my oldest child. It was a contest. Yeah. Um, yeah, yes. because it was like, why not? Like, it's fun. Yeah. And, I'm, and I am not, I'm not normative in a lot of ways. And, and that's, 
No, fine, but it's right? but you're still you know you're still like super responsible and you want to get it right, but you can also have green hair. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can yeah. also um, yeah. do yoga and like yeah. be you know a little bit like gritty and alternative. And I think that's you know I mean this this podcast is called the Transformational Storyteller Podcast, and ah, I think right. it is about. Like, what are the stories that have shaped us? What stories do you need to change? And then, like, what parts of ourselves feel, of our character, feel whole and true and authentic? And, and to me, I feel like part of your journey was rediscovering the parts of yourself that were lost along the way. So, um, so, so the tattoo, right? Yeah. Um, I got that because I have in many ways integrated the church, right? A yeah. therapist years ago told me, you need to integrate the church. And I'm like, no blank way am I ever doing that. Yeah. But I have. I've gone back, I've gone to places, I've seen people, just about everybody in the book I've connected with. Yeah. Um, my friend who threw me under the bus, um, I'm going to see her for the first time in decades on wow. Wednesday. She's picking me up at the airport in San wow. Francisco. So I really integrated that, and this was about owning my life with my dad, right? Because yep. it, the funny thing is, it's exactly what I remember his girlfriend having and doing to my father's friends, and it is similar to what she has, and kind of similar to what they have, but not exactly, which yeah. is the funny thing about memoir. But it's it was owning it, and yeah. um, and I have a, a dear friend who said um it's I've hold right, and I feel like with the book and with the conversations and reconnecting with people I never thought I'd have, and having conversations I never thought I'd have, and and sharing so much with strangers right, it it has absolutely hold me and let me be even more of my figure out what that authentic self yeah. really really is and be it and own it and and be okay with it, which is the hard part. And so I say like I. I bearing my soul for three main reasons, right? One is that extremist situations are dangerous. They're intoxicating. Yeah. There's nothing more intoxicating than knowing you have the truth, right? Yeah. Even if it's not really true. And they're all over the place. Yes. There's the reason it's terrorist attacks, it's gangs, it's religion. Oh, a yeah. Lot of oh, absolutely. Situations. The second message is um, for anybody who feels hopeless or damaged beyond repair. Yeah. I want to give a message of hope because I have had and can have moments where I do know that I am damaged beyond repair and need to die, right? They mm, still happen. Yeah. But they're less. And they're not true, right? So right. I want to give a message yes. of hope. And the third is, um, from my work and my life and my friends, right? I just think as the human, as humans, we are all way too hard on ourselves, self-lambasting, self-critical, self-judging, and we need a huge dose of self-compassion, yeah. right? And so I'm walking around with my. I mean, some people love this. I like strangers, and other people are like. Is your hair blue? <laughs> and in Philly, like, is that for the Eagles? I'm like, it is not for the Eagles. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. You're a New Yorker, Eagles, right? You're, you're a New Yorker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and so it's it's like owning and yeah. allowing all of me, right? How yes. can we all just be like, I'm okay, even yeah. on my worst days. I'm okay. I'm okay, right? Yeah. And even when I mess up. I'm okay, and even when I feel like I can't get out of bed, let me get myself a hug because I'm okay, right? And because, especially yeah. at those times, I know, right? right? Especially <laughs> at those times, not even when I mess yeah. up, but especially, especially when, when I, I mess, mess up, up. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, just for anyone who can't see, who's listening, the oh. uh, the tattoo that you have, would you just describe it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, on my right arm around the little... Little yeah, there's like a the little, little bump. bump. Yeah, there's there. a little bump. Yeah, it's an it's kind of an off kilter circle, so it's thinner on one side and thicker on the other, and it goes yeah. around that. And again, that's exactly what I remembered her having. But she actually has an off kilter circle with a very small hole in the middle, very thick, okay. and mine is very yeah. open in the middle. And then and the other friend has two snakes circling each other, making a circle. So they all kind of have circles, but yeah, but that's what it is. It's very small. It's very understated. Yeah. But, but yeah. I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, which is so, yeah, it's really And cool. I did get ink before my child, which is like really cool. Yes, yes. <laughs> my nephew uh, goes, it's it's not a contest. I'm like, hell yes, it is. Life is a contest, right? <laughs> life totally is kidding. a contest. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> they, they went with me. They're like, oh, yeah. It's like, I also have a, this little, um, what are the little piercing in my yep. cartilage in my ear? And yeah. when we went, the two of us went, and a guy knew that we were getting two and said to my kid, where do you want them? And my kid goes, one here and one on my mom. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh, that's great. Yes, I love that. Um, whereas I, I remember at one point I snuck out of a treatment center that I was in, and I got my eyebrow pierced, and my mother was horrible. Horrified, but you would have gotten your yours pierced with your daughter, yeah, perhaps. You maybe. maybe not the eyebrow, but <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we'll do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, I usually, I think I have a general sense and you just, you were just talking about the three, le like yeah. the three reasons yeah. you wrote the book, but I like to ask everybody who's on here, you know, if your life is a story and you're looking back at the story of your life that has been written so far, you know, um, if you could sort of dig out like maybe a theme or a lesson for people, what would you feel like would be the most important lesson that you would want to be imparted from your life story to date? Um... Yeah, it's it's the hope and love and self-compassion. Yeah. It's it's the the sense of you know so many of us. I mean, awful things happen, right? And I'm not negating it, but so much so much are in so much suffering, right? And anything I can do for me and I can do for you to choose joy and choose love and choose hope even in the the worst circumstances, right? You know, yeah. and all of that that um that's why I um, you know, talking about this, yeah, because I just think uh, th that's it, right? That's that's what matters. It's you know, we can make the day. We can find a way to love, right? And how can yeah. I let love into my life? And how can you let love into your life? And how can I connect, right? Yeah. How can I connect? And I love that you said, you know, how can we choose love? How can we choose hope? How can we choose? Because I think that. You know, that is one of the things that I really try to impress upon the people that I'm working with or talking to or whatnot, that, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves, the, the events are not, mm -hmm. we don't have the capacity to choose them always, the facts of our lives we can't always choose, but the meaning that we give them can be chosen. The, the who we are, how we show up for life, right. we can make certain choices right. Right. about choose to feel and notice and ruminate on how everything's awful or I can look know that everything is awful right now because I am facing some stuff in yeah. my life right now that's hard yeah. and I can look outside and see the sunshine and be like oh yeah there's sunshine right right the sunshine makes me smile yes. so I yes. can smile the sunshine for a second or make myself a cup of tea or yes. you know feel the the fleece blanket on my or my little slippers and yeah. they feel really good and find things that just give me ease yes. versus hunkering down and pushing through like I'm yeah. so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and everything is never awful and everything is never wonderful, I right? Have, I have like, a friend who's going through a really tough time now in divorce and selling the house yeah. and all that. And, and another friend, um, anyway, sent, there's a, the Decemberists, I think, have a song, Everything is Awful. And it's hilarious, yes, right? Because it's, it's just like everything, 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 yeah, everything yeah, is yeah, awful. Yeah, yeah, everything yeah, good is crashing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now, like, I text my friend that, like, every day, everything is awful. And it makes her laugh, yeah. right? Because yeah. even when everything is awful, not everything. Not right? everything. And if we can just yeah. find anybody, ourselves or someone else, to just pull us out for a second. Yeah. And, like, the people in the concentration camps, some of them found hope, yeah. right? And the people in the worst situations, some of them can find hope. Is there anything that can give me hope when I need it? Can I ask somebody for it? I've learned yeah. to really be like, help, I need a hug, yeah. as opposed to shouldering shoe. And if I see you suffering, is there any way I can text you anything, everything is awful, yes. or a heart, or whatever, to just let you know you're not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. That's what yeah. I say. I get reached out to by like on Twitter, it's so cool, and Facebook, and Insta, by all these people who don't know me, and some of them are in real pain, and I'm like, you're not alone. It does yeah. get better. I know you feel alone, and I know you feel like there's no hope, yeah. but it does get better, and you're not alone. There are other people who've gone through this too. Yes, so. yes. And if they haven't gone through that exact experience, like, they've gone exactly. through something and they can relate right. to you. And I said, I said to this one young, young person reached out to me at one point in a really tough situation and I said, this, there's one thing I believe to be true, right? I would not wish trauma on anybody and suffering. But when you experience hard times, you have a, I have found that you have a better appreciation for the simple things in life than people who haven't ever suffered, yes. right? And so, like, like you will go through this, and this is horrific what you're experiencing, I said to this person, but there'll be a point where maybe you're, like, with a day without pain, you'll be like, oh, my God, yeah, I feel fine today, yeah. right? Or, yeah. like, or the sun is shining. Or, like, I, I jokingly yeah. say years ago, is we're driving home from New York, my husband and I, and pick up our kids. We spent the, you know, the night with friends of mine from high school, and I said to him, don't you just stop and be like, oh, my God, I'm so lucky. My life is so amazing. And he goes, yeah, not really. <laughs> like, and so I did not take that personally. It's just, but like that. So, but I spend my life going, I can't believe yeah. how blessed I am. Yeah. I worked hard. Like, I cannot believe that I, you know, have a generally happy marriage, right? And I have two kids whom I adore. And I, I'm like, and I'm. I have a, I, I have so much joy and love in my life, and and the sun is shining, and I have a friend like you who I picked up at a writers conference, yes, right? I'm yes, like, yes. I have so much, and someone who hasn't maybe hit the depths, yeah. would be like, yeah, but I don't have this, this, and this, and this, right? right? And so it, it's just a, 
I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but it gives a perspective. Like it's yes. a choice. Love is a verb. Hope is a choice. Joy is a choice, right? Yeah. When I, even in my darkest moments, maybe I can't, but in my semi-darkest moments, how yes. can I remember that and do something that brings that back to my heart? Yeah. So yeah. that's why I'm, I'm naked with my book. Yes. <laughs> well, and I'm so grateful. And, you know, and speaking of reaching out to you, you mentioned people reaching out to you on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. So tell people where they can yeah. contact you. So uh, a couple places to contact me. It's all, it's parts of it are really easy now. So it's, um, my website is Lisa Cohn Writes. It's L-I-S-A-K-O-H-N, as in Nancy, Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. Yeah, like yep, writing, right? Yep. Dot com. And all of my, now all of my social media is, Insta is Lisa Cohn Writes, Twitter is Lisa Cohn Writes, Facebook is Lisa Cohn Writes. There's, you know, they're yeah. all different ways. And so I, when people I don't know reach out to me, it's even more amazing than when people... I do know reach out to me. So okay. you can email me, you can yeah. tweet me, you can Facebook message me, you okay. can Insta me. Yeah, and we'll called. put links to all that in yeah. the show notes yeah. so that but people can be in touch. I love connecting with people and I will speak anywhere about this to anybody because I just, we could all be so much happier. Yeah, well, thank you again so much. Thank yeah. you so much. You. I highly encourage you to buy a copy of Lisa Cohn's book, to the moon and back, a childhood under the influence. I read it and I was riveted um, from the first word to the last word. Um, we are going to put a, uh, a link to purchase in the show notes, but um, if you go to amazon.com backslash shop, backslash Darylise Lyons, you can find this book and many others on uh, my Amazon page and buying through that page link uh, helps support Lisa and it helps support this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Transformational Storyteller Podcast. As always, thanks to our episode sponsors, our production team at Rebel Hill Consulting, and of course, many thanks to you, the listener. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I hope you're creating stories that empower you and inspire others.